I have a word to share with you today that I believe the Lord has directed in, and I covet, so covet your prayers. We're going to start in Revelation chapter 19. After we're done reading the scripture text and praying, I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Matthew 22. We'll make reference to that throughout the message, but Revelation chapter 19, if you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are His judgments. For He has judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice, give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come. Notice this next phrase. And his wife hath made herself ready. The first part of verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Would you stretch your hand this direction and pray God's anointing and blessing over his word and over his servant today. Father, we come before you today keenly aware that as we stand here as your representative, we need the heavy anointing of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I'm not capable, I'm not able to communicate this message in my own strength and power. I've got to have your unction and your anointing. Lord, I lift my hand to you to receive that which I need to share this word. Your people, they stretch out their hands toward their shepherd that he would receive the anointing that he needs to communicate this word. Hide me behind the cross. May Jesus and Jesus alone be seen and heard and we'll give you praise and glory and honor in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Before you're seated, Okay, you can be seated. But I do want you to do this. I want you to turn to your neighbor, to your left, and I want you to say this. The white garment is still the right garment. And turn to your neighbor to the right and say this with me. The white garment is still 
the right garment. If you will leave your Bibles open to Matthew 22 as a point of reference this morning. In Matthew 22, there is a powerful parable that describes the kingdom of heaven. It describes the marriage of the king's son to his bride. It is very easy to draw parallels between the parable that Jesus uses in Matthew 22 and the marriage that will take place at the end of time. Jesus is the groom. And you and I, the church, are the bride of Christ. We are brought together at the marriage supper of the Lamb for all of eternity. Matthew 22, verses 1 through 14, you have the king in this parable who represents God Almighty. You have the son who represents Jesus Christ. You have the servants who are the prophets, the preachers. That's who they The servants represent. The day of celebration has finally come. The groom will be united with his bride once and for all. In the parable, the invitations are sent out to anyone that will come. But some of the answers that they're getting back in return are rejections to the invitation. Some have refused to come due to farming which speaks to their priorities. Farming was more important than attending the wedding. Some have refused to come due to merchandise, the Scripture says, which speaks to possessions. So you have some that are refusing to come at all due to other priorities, and some that refuse to come due to possessions. And then some even went so far as to kill the servants or the prophets that simply brought the invitation. There were those that hated that a wedding was even taking place. Now you need to understand that those that were invited were not in a position where they could not come, but the Bible says they would not come. In fact, verse 5 of Matthew 22 says that they made light of the invitation. Boy, I could stop there and and spend some time and boldly describe to you our age in the world. But there are many that did come in response to the invitation. The Scripture says, from the highways and the hedges, as they found both bad and good, and the wedding was furnished with guests. I also want you to note in this parable that the garments worn to the wedding were also critical. They were essential. Everyone that, w- that would come to the wedding would need to be wearing white in celebration of the wedding, a celebration of purity, a celebration of a matrimony, a clear parallel to the wedding of all eternity. For a few moments this morning, let me just answer some basic questions about this wedding of eternity. 
The first thing I want to answer today is this question, who will provide these white garments at the end of time? These white garments, uh, I can boldly and confidently say to you that are provided to us for the church, the bride of Christ, will be provided by the Lord himself. The Lord has provided these garments for us already. I read in Isaiah chapter 61 and verse 10. Listen to what it says. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Oh, Jesus purchased our white garments when he shed his rich red blood on Calvary. And when he purchased those white garments, he gave us the potential to be clothed with them upon our acceptance of them. Now, you got to understand, we have clothes of our own making. But thanks be unto God, Jesus didn't try to clean our filthy rags. He gave us garments of righteousness that he provided. In Isaiah 64 and 6, the scripture tells us about our own garments, that we are all as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That means uh, garments of our own making, garments of our own provision are no good in the eyes of God. But thank God if you've been to the foot of the cross, if you've been to the altar, then you've also been to the Lord's dressing room. And you may have walked out in the same physical clothes after you accepted Jesus. But can I tell you, Jesus traded your rags in for white garments of salvation. Praise the wonderful name of the Lord. If you go to Zechariah chapter 3, you'll read there about a priest whose name was Joshua. This is not the Joshua from earlier in the Old Testament, but his name is Joshua. And he, he's standing there and he has filthy garments on. And the Bible says the, the angel of the Lord had some commands to give. But the angel of the Lord did not say, go and clean your garments, Joshua. Oh no, the angel of the Lord said, commanded that the filthy garments be taken away and be replaced with clean, spotless, white linen of righteousness. Thanks be unto God that I have been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Thanks be unto God that I've been given a white and clean robe uh, to wear. In fact, Revelation chapter 3 tells us it's a rebuke to anyone who would try to come in your own garments of righteousness and in your own strength. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 8 says these words, Jesus says, buy of me white garments that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness not be revealed. So we know that Jesus has provided the garments for us to show up at the wedding. The next question I want to answer this morning is, who puts the garments on? The answer to that simply is this. Those that have been invited to the wedding. The king would give
give, he would give garments as gifts to the guests uh, that would be coming to the wedding, but they were to wear them when they arrived. We go again to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 1, and listen to what it says. And after these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven. Verse 6 says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering. And then verse 7 says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and the wife has made herself ready. The wife has made herself I'm going somewhere in a little bit, so hold on. The wife has made herself ready. And verse 8 says, And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. To her was granted, the Lord provides the garments. Verse 7, His wife has made herself ready. Even though the garments are provided, the bride still has to go to the dressing room. The bride still has to put on the garments of righteousness and salvation that has been given to her by the groom. Now I want you to back up with me for a moment. Envision with me a poor woman is asked to marry a king's son. This poor woman is broke. She has nothing. She's destitute. And if we go by the traditions of our day, the wedding is generally the bride's cost. But she has no means of obtaining money to prepare for the wedding. All she has is rags. All she has is garments that are tattered and torn because of her her depravity being so poor. But the king's son is in love with her and loves her so much that he gives what she needs to buy the garments and the jewels for the wedding. Gives her everything. The whole wardrobe. Everything she needs. All the jewels she needs to be adorned with. All the wedding garments that she needs to wear for the special day. But then what a tragedy it would be when she does nothing with the provision that has been given to her. Why would any poor bride in their right mind not wear the wedding dress that has been provided for her? I asked myself the question. I pondered that this week and I came up with a couple of answers. And one answer I came to was this. Well, maybe she wants to wear her own garments to the wedding. Maybe her attitude is, my wedding garments will be of my own choosing. Now let me tell you, this does parallel the mindset of people, some people listening to me today, because I guarantee you sprinkled throughout this congregation and watching online, there are those that have a mindset that they can live any way that they want, because God is a merciful God, and He will not send anyone to hell. I'll make it in. I feel confident, even though I'm not like the sincere the faithful, the church. I want to get real with you this morning. There are people that are dotting churches across our land today. There are people lifting up their hands, singing the songs of Zion, and their attitude is this. I will smoke, I will cuss, I will drink, I will sleep around, I will involve myself in fornication, I will be an adulterer, I will gossip, I will lie, I will be gluttonous, and I will cheat. 
meat. If I want to, I will serve porn sites. And you know what? I'll be a porn site for somebody else if they want to surf my social media. I will wear my own wedding garment that I choose to provide. If you don't believe this is true in our day, it's probably been nearly 30 years ago that I had a co-worker looked at me in my eye and she was on the verge of getting involved in an adulterous relationship and I was trying to talk her out of it. I was saying, Annette, you don't need to touch that. That's fire. You're a married woman. But she was tempted and the temptation was drawing her stronger and stronger. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. She looked, I said, what's going to happen if the rapture takes place and Jesus comes back and you're in the act of adultery? And she said, I believe the Lord will take me out of a bed of adultery and take me to heaven. Let me tell you, if you believe it's that prevalent 30 years ago, it's that prevalent today. Even though the scripture tells us very clearly that fornicators and adulterers and drunkards and so forth and so on will not inherit the kingdom of God. What are you preaching today, preacher? I'm telling you, if you're going to go to glory, you're going to have to have the wedding garments of righteousness on you that are going to be acceptable to God. And I'll never forget her saying this to me. Once I got saved, I was always saved. That deception is destroying multitudes of people today. It is the most diluted Christian values era I have seen in my lifetime. Forty years ago, the church was perceived as legalistic. Forty years ago, when I was 16 years old, I remember it well. But the pendulum over the last four decades has swung to the other extreme. We have gone from legalism to liberalism, and we never found the balance in the middle. And now today, in the general church speaking, there is a mixing together of the worship of Jehovah with the idolatry of this present world. I'm telling you, it is the deceit of the enemy, for he knows his time is short. Instead of out and outright idolatry and apostasy and people abandoning the Lord, let's just mix in some of the world with the church. Let's just mix in some of the world into our a lifestyle, into our home. It is professing souls desiring to wear wedding garments of their own making instead of dressing in the wedding garments of righteousness that has already been provided. I'm going to preach whether you help me preach or not because, see, this is not a new trick of the enemy. It's been going on for years. If you go back to the Old Testament and you read in 1 Kings, chapter 11. You read that God raised up the, the, the wisest man in the Bible named Solomon. And he said, I want you to build me a temple. He built the Lord a temple. And the Bible says that, that uh, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. But can I tell you what's, what's tragic about that story? As wonderful as the building of the temple and the glory of the temple was, not long after he built the temple, he constructed idols across the street for his wives 
and for his concubines on the hill that is before Jerusalem. Literally in front of the temple that he had dedicated to God, he built idols for his wives and his concubines. You say, well, boy, that's bad, but at least it's not in the temple. Well, let me tell you, you take it forward 10 generations. You take it to a man by the name of Manasseh 294 years later in 2 Kings 21. Listen to this. The scripture says he built an altar in the house of the Lord of which the Lord had said in Jerusalem will I put my name. That's what it says. But verse 5 says, and he built altars for all the host of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. What are you saying? I'm saying Solomon, 300 years earlier, built idols across the street from the temple of God. But Manasseh, 300 years later, built idol altars in the house of the Lord. Friend, this is syncretism. This is a mixing together. It's been around for generations. Let's not forsake God completely. Let's just make Jesus a part of our spiritual smorgasbord when it's convenient and it's more prevalent, it seems like, than ever before. I'm telling you, I sense this in my spirit and I'm going to say it with boldness this morning. But some of you are, are making a mockery of this house simply by the fact that you're serving God and you're trying to serve money or serve someone else or your own agenda or another kind of God and you actually believe that you can come up with your own way wedding garment and it will be acceptable to the Lord at the end of your days this is the same God who said you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart with all of your soul with all of your mind with all of your strength he will not share his glory with another God you come in lifting up hands that are not holy Come in speaking words of worship that are not from a pure heart. Let me go off script a little bit while I'm good and deep in it. I've been listening to the radio a lot lately, and I enjoy Christian radio, but I've been listening to a lot of come as you are, come as you are, come as you are. And yes, for the sinner. The broken, the backslider, it is so true. Come as you are, for you are helpless, but you are not hopeless. But the thought hit me this week, at some point in your walk with God... You have to embrace that the loving, gracious, merciful Lord that we approach and pray to is also a holy, pure, and perfect, and spotless Lamb of God. He's Lord of the world, and He is to be treated with reverence and godly fear. In Psalms 24, verse 3 and 4. Questions asked, who shall ascend unto the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Y'all out there? 
profane lifestyles, they won't work with the Holy God. Lazy Christians will not work with the Lord who gave his all for you. Don't be deceived by an ungodly world and a diluted church culture that allows the world to be mixed in with it. He's still a holy God. He's still coming back after a bride without spot or blemish that has his wedding garments on. Well, that would be sad for that poor destitute woman who said she loved the king's son to try to wear her own wedding garments. But then there are those who insist on paying for their own wedding garments and jewels. They insist on paying for their own wedding garments and jewels for the wedding. And this is how they do it. They say, I will just works myself to earn my garments of salvation. This just happened. Christy did a great job teaching a, the book of Jude the last several Wednesday nights. and It was on that final concluding study that I had just read that earlier this day, that day. Franklin Graham, listen to this, posted September 5th. About 1,000 pastors who were surveyed. Listen to this. 1,000 pastors. First of all, 39% of them, which would be equivalent to 390, said there is no absolute moral truth and that each individual must determine their own truth. But equally as shocking was that 30% or 300 of those pastors of the thousand said they believe people can merit their salvation based solely on their good works. We used to talk about this coming. We're not talking about it coming anymore. It's here. You better be careful who you're listening to. You better be careful what you're watching. You better be careful who you align yourself with as a, quote, strong Christian witness. You better be careful of prophets that will give out a word, and when the word don't happen, they don't have enough backbone to stand up and say, I missed it. I'm human. I miss it. Listen. Attending church without a trip to the cross won't get you your garments. Giving in the offering without confessing your sins won't get you in. You need to vote at elections, and you should be involved in charity. And, and all of that being coupled with a good, being a good moral citizen will not get you in at the end of your days.
The preachers are out there a dime a dozen. Some of them will preach the devil himself into heaven. But that doesn't mean you'll make it. It wasn't always this way. But 90% of obituaries now sends everybody to heaven. It wasn't always this way. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to. I'm just going to tell you. You're looking at a preacher who's not going to preach you into heaven. I may throw a little by faith in front of it, but the thought that your family could be comforted upon your death at your funeral. We all take a trip down memory lane while your soul begins its eternal damnation in Hades. Friend, you cannot works. You cannot works your way into heaven. You cannot earn your garments. Ephesians makes it clear. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works. Not of works, lest any man should boast. <clears throat> so the bride shows up at the marriage ceremony. She comes with her own garments or she is delayed coming because she's been out trying to earn her wedding garments. So either she's improperly dressed or extremely late, cannot get in for the ceremony has begun. And I want, to, I want to look at verse 11 with you and read it. When the king came in to see the guest, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Verse 11, verse 12, and he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and take him away. Cast him into outer darkness where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let me ask the last question here. Do we always wear the wedding garments until that day? We take them off on a certain day, put them up in the closet, because we're just not in the mood just doesn't seem to work out for us. Isaiah 52 and 1 says, Awake! Awake and put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, old Jerusalem, the holy city. Romans 13 says, Put you on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. What does this mean? This means the wedding garments remain on. This means life after finding Christ is a striving toward purity and spotlessness. <laughs> Last time I checked, we're still supposed to strive to be like Jesus. I came across something that was very eye-opening for me. It's Revelation 19 and verse 8. 
It's part B of that verse. We talk about the wedding garment. It says the, the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. I looked that up one day in the original Greek. And righteous means righteous acts. Let me let that settle for a moment. Righteousness means righteous acts. God has given us His grace to produce works of righteousness. Not works to earn salvation, because we can't. You cannot earn salvation. But works that follow salvation. Works as a result of salvation. Wedding garment. Righteous acts of the saints. One writer said, if our white wedding dress is made up of our righteous acts, most people in the Western church don't have enough works to make up a miniskirt. That's sobering, isn't it? When you think about the Western church and the Western world compared to other countries, I'm afraid we've become more consumers than we are contributors. Works will not save you, but works are the result of your salvation. James wrote and said, faith without works is dead. In 2.26, he said, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. 2.24, he said, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith alone. So, so here's, here's what your pastor's saying to you today. Because I don't want you to be fooled by the message of a diluted culture in the church. Don't be fooled into believing you are saved if your acts, deeds, and conduct remain the same as an unsaved person. A saved person is a changed person. Living and doing for God. Living and doing for others. Too many professing believers basically live for themselves and their immediate families. Unbelievers do that. Who kind of felt that bounce back? So let me give you the conclusion. The king shows up in Matthew 22, 11. And there is someone present that does not have the wedding garment on. So in a nutshell, get it this way. The grace of God will make it possible to be the bride. The righteous acts we live by will get us to the wedding. I need to read that again. I thought I had gotten it for the PowerPoint, but the grace of God will make it possible to be the bride, but the righteous acts we live by will get us to the wedding. If God says live holy, and He does, it's a righteous act. And so when I live holy, I'm putting on the spotless wedding dress. 
If God says do ministry of some kind, and he does, whether it's keeping nursery or ushering or cleaning the toilets, whatever it is in the name of Jesus, when you do it, you're putting the wedding garments on. Are you all out there? Learned some tough lessons. One time I went to play golf and I had a pair of jeans on and a t-shirt. That was a mistake. Because when you go to play golf, you're supposed to wear a collared polo shirt. When you go to the president's ball, you don't wear jeans. When you go to the rodeo, you don't wear a tux. When you go horseback riding, you don't wear your Sunday best. When you go hunting, you never wear brown. I'm a city boy, but I know that. And when you show up at the end of your life, you had better have the wedding garments of righteousness on to be welcomed in as acceptable. Revelation 14, 13 tells us that our works, they follow us. Zephaniah 1, 7 and 8 tells us that the Lord will punish those who show up at the wedding feast with strange apparel on. I I didn't come to play games with you today, and I know the Holy Spirit's not. This word is meant for some folks. Revelation 19, we read that the bride is contrasted with the great whore. And man, this thought hit me, and this is, man, this is rough. You align with the bride or you align with the whore. You'll either perish with the whore or you'll celebrate with the bride. That's hard. But it's Bible. It's Word. I guess it's Ezekiel the prophet. I'm getting ready to close, Tony, if you'll come to the keys. was Ezekiel the prophet where the Lord got real serious with him. And he said, look, Ezekiel, this is my paraphrase, but he said, look, Ezekiel, you give them what I tell you to give them. And if they reject it, their blood will be on them. But Ezekiel, if I give you what you need to tell them and you don't, and they perish, their blood's going to be on your hands. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord God, I call conviction down over this house right now. In the name of Jesus, every single soul listening they have not embraced your robe of righteousness they have not embraced your cleansing they have not you put your wedding garments on they're trying to they're trying to wear their wedding garments and the enemy the a diluted cult, church culture a a world has them believing 
but they done come to a roadblock this morning because the Word and the Holy Spirit still brings conviction of righteousness and self-control and judgment that is coming. I don't know who they are. You've laid no one on my mind this week as it relates to this message. But there are people in the room, there are people that are watching this service. They're wearing their own garments and they're deceived into believing they're ready for the wedding. There are people in this room and there are people watching. They are convinced that they can earn their way. into heaven with their works. And at the end of their days, they're going to be found naked. They're going to be found with filthy garments on. They're going to be found with garments that are not white and spotless and pure. They're going to be found with garments that have tears and smudges, marks of sin. My God. Every head bowed and every eye closed. No one looking around. I refute man's version of Christianity. I'm telling you, some, some folks in this place have come to a They've come to a roadblock. The Holy Spirit has stopped you in your path. Things which you thought were right are not right. That that you buried deep has been exposed by the Holy Spirit. And you'd say, Preacher, I need prayer. While no one's looking around, would you just lift your hand? Just lift it up. Hands are going up all over this place. Hands are going up all over this place. You may lower them. Thank you. I would have to be strongly and mightily used of the Holy Spirit and really feel impressed in my spirit to go back and ask anyone to come to the altar. I've done it before, but I but this moment I feel like that the Holy Spirit is doing enough tugging. Hmm. What do I need to do, preacher? Well, a contrite heart. A broken in a contrite heart. Nobody's asking you your business. But I'm asking, I am asking you, and the Holy Spirit is drawing you. Those that raised their hands and those that didn't, to leave from where you are and to come and just kneel. Just kneel. And just when you kneel, you just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Confess it to Him. And just. Ask Him to forgive you. 
lay your man-made wedding garments down at this altar and take his robe of righteousness that he wants to wrap around you that became possible through the shed blood on the cross. Come on, you're here. I know you're here. You're going to sit back another moment. You're going to worry about what anybody thinks. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father's angels. I could care less about who's in the room right now. That's the mindset you got to have. You're a young person, don't worry about it. If you got to crawl over 10 people to get to this altar, I would move. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your work. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your work. I can't do it on my own. I saw some young people with their hands raised a while ago. Don't you believe for one moment you got plenty of time? This past week, my own, my own 23-year-old son was riding up the interstate and a refrigerator and a dolly came off the back of a truck in front of him at 75 miles an hour. He had to swerve and move and change and shift, and that refrigerator got within three feet of his vehicle. That quick, life can change. I'm telling you, I wouldn't play games with the Holy Spirit today. I wouldn't play games with the Holy Spirit today. some godly sisters and some godly brothers just to come and just to come and support this is between them and God they don't need you to whisper in their ear this morning that's not what I feel the Lord wants us to do but sometimes it's good to feel that that hand of support on your shoulder when you're wrestling through some stuff so I wondered if there's some spirit-filled folks that would just get up real quickly and come and just lay your hands on their shoulder and stand behind them or kneel beside them and encourage them show them compassion Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for grace. Can someone just lift a hand and say, thank you for grace? The Hebrew says, come boldly to the throne of grace. The only reason I can come boldly is because it is a throne of grace. Otherwise, I'd have no right to be there. But the unmerited favor of God has been granted to me. Lord, I thank you for touching their hearts. I thank you for their honesty and their transparency before you. Lord, do a transforming work inside of them this morning. A deep work of God. A deep work. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for touching him today. Thank you for ministering to her today. We humble ourselves in your presence. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.